The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for all the news, tips, strategies, and techniques to get you on the road to financial independence through real estate investing. And let's talk about that term, financial independence. It's thrown around a lot as a way of saying that you don't have a job that you are not dependent upon an employer's um, evaluation of your value and, uh, of course, demands on your time. But the question we're going to ask tonight is, are you really financially independent if you are indebted to lots of banks and lenders? My guest tonight would argue no. That until you are uh, the owner of free and clear properties, you do not have to go to work every day to make sure that your lenders are taken care of. You are not truly financially independent. You, in fact, are just working a job for a very different kind of employer. That guest is Sean McCluskey. Now, if you've heard that name before, you've probably heard it in relation to short sales. Uh, Sean is an extremely well-known expert on the topic of short sales and uh, has spent some time traveling around the country talking about those. But today, he's going to talk about something uh, very personal that he has done and very meaningful for himself and his family and his life that he has done, which is learn to invest completely without debt. Joining us from his home is Sean McCluskey. Sean, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, Vina, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Doing great, Sean. Um, Appreciate you joining us today. Um, I want you to tell the story of how you decided (laughs) that more properties and more deals and more, uh, quote, success, and I I say that in the sense of, of people looking at you going, wow, he does a lot of deals was not <laughs> was not really what you wanted anymore. Talk about how you how you yeah. came to that realization and what you decided to do about it. Well, it's kind of funny, you know, you mentioned I'm the, I was a short sale guy and I have been doing short sales uh, back since 2003. And during that time, I've met I don't even know how many hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands at this point, that were behind on payments and were struggling to get by and it was affecting their family life and their personal life and their business life and everything 
uh, because, you know, obviously anybody who needs a short sale is somebody who's behind in payments or about to be behind. And so the question always came up in my mind, how did they get behind? And the situation was different every time, but this, the, the foundation of it was the same. You know, they would always say, Sean, I was just fine until, and then fill in the blank. And the blank could be, Sean, I was just fine until my wife got sick and I had to take time off work to spend time with her at the hospital. She had cancer. Or, Sean, I was just fine until my husband passed away. And, you know, here we are. We're in our mid-20s. We just got married. We've got two kids. And we're in our mid-20s. And I lost my husband. And who would have ever thought that in our mid-20s I would lose my husband? And we were just fine with all our debt until that point. Or, you know, Sean, I was just fine until my company laid me off. You know, I've been there for 16 years. And my company finally let me go. And so the story was always the same. I was just fine until, and no one ever intended to be in the situation that they were in, but everybody I dealt with was in that situation. So I got to see these patterns over and over and over again, and the biggest pattern that I saw was that people were leveraged. Um, you know, there's a <laughs> there's an old saying, you know, you know, I never, I've never seen a business that's completely debt-free or a, a household that's completely debt-free going bankrupt. It doesn't happen, you know, there there's very few fights at the end of the month with married couples because there's too much money at the end of the month. It's always because the bills are coming and there's not enough there. And so I started to take a look at this in my own life and business. And, and this was just about four years ago or so. And I had built this business where I was able to close 60, 70, some years, 80 deals per year. And everybody looked at me where I live here in St. Louis, Missouri. And they looked at me as like the expert and they looked at me as, without trying to sound arrogant they were looking at me as man i want to close as many deals as that guy and i say without sounding arrogant because i was looking at my business and i was saying well, wait a second i have to close 60 or 70 or 80 deals a year because i've developed enough debt and enough overhead and enough so-called good debt leverage where i have to go to work i have to do these deals i've got employees to pay i've got overhead i've got all this stuff to pay for and if I don't go to work and close these deals, you know, I might not go out of business tomorrow or next month or the month after that, but it's just a matter of time before those bills catch up with the amount that I have in savings. And so therefore in my own personal life, I felt less free than ever before. So that's kind of where it started. I mean, I saw these patterns over and over with other people. And then pretty soon I realized, wait a second, if this pattern is happening with them, what would happen if one day, if I got sick or what would happen one day if, heaven forbid they made short sales illegal you know i mean who knows what the government could do tomorrow anymore and i thought could i sustain my life and could i feel first of all do i feel free right now and the answer was no but then i thought would i be able to sustain my life as i'm living right now if the rules change tomorrow and the answer was a clear no so that's when i started to take a look at this stuff and, and started thinking you know does most of the american population have this whole thing on debt correctly or should we ask some questions that's mm-hmm. how it got started mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now we should also say that at that time when when this uh, decision making process happened you did have leveraged properties i did it, it wasn't that you were just wholesaling things or just retailing things you owned some uh, I assume highly leveraged, that's <laughs> how it normally turns out, <laughs> um, uh, rental properties that were, uh, the idea was, of course, for long-term retirement, right? It was in, sure. in 30 years, yeah. I'll have these paid down. And 
And of course, the 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 thing I always tell people about rental properties is they they are absolutely a great way to build long term wealth. The problem is that while they're leveraged, you're not going to make much money off of them, <laughs> and you're you're going to feed. Sure. So, so you have to own a lot of them in order to have uh, a, a high income, uh, as opposed to maybe you know high equity or a lot of a lot of money on your balance sheet. Your yeah, uh, your sort of. Um, philosophy on life these days is, yeah, but if they were paid off right now, you could live like you were retired right now. <laughs> well, yeah. And let me, let me tell you a little bit of where that came from, because in going through this process and, and realizing these patterns that I see in people, uh, a lot of people that I would deal with would be landlords. And these landlords would come to me and they'd say, Sean, I need help doing short sales on my properties. And sometimes they would come to me for, for a no good reason. Like they'd say, Sean, I need to, you to help me with do short sales on my properties because they're just not as good a deals as I thought and I just don't want them. And it's not that they couldn't afford them, they just wanted to walk away. Those are the kind of people I didn't help. But the kind of people I would help is the guy who said, Sean, you know, I've got 10 rentals or it could be 100 rentals or it could be two rentals. It doesn't matter. Fill in the blank. I dealt with everybody. But they'd come to me and they'd say, Sean, I was doing just fine until you know, let's say the guy with 10 rentals, he'd come to me and he'd say, Sean, I was doing just fine until, you know, it just so happened four of them went vacant at one time and the other six were rented and the other six were cash flowing, but all the cash flow was going to the four that were vacant to get them fixed back up and re-renovated again. And then of course I got payments to make while they're being renovated. And so all my profits for the entire year that I was making on the 10 when they were fully rented out before all of a sudden it's going out to the four that are vacant and I'm really not making the money I thought I was going to make. And Sean, I tried to do that over and over again, but now, you know, we've been fixing the properties up and my money's out. I still got repairs to do. I can't get people in the properties, the four that are vacant until uh, we get the repairs done, but I'm out of money. So I can't do the repairs. So Sean, I went to the bank. I asked them if I could borrow some more money and they said, absolutely not. And so I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm either going to be behind on payments next month or I got to come up with another solution. And I've seen that over and over and over again. There's a, a friend of mine named Alan that has 1,100 rental properties. So you think you might be able to make it up if you got some volume, but it's the same thing percentage-wise. This guy's got 1,100 properties. And again, fill in the story, Sean, I was just fine until, and his until was, Sean, I was just fine until I switched management companies on my 1,100 properties, and the new management company didn't do as good of a job as they claimed they could do, and he said it was a matter of three to four months, and my property uh, vacancy rate went from, he was hovering around 8% or so, which on 1,100 properties is still about 90 or 100 properties. That's a lot. But he said my vacancy rate went from 8% up to more than 30% in just a few months. Mm. So, you know, that could be 10 properties or it could be 1,100 like Allen's, but all of a sudden, you know, 30% vacancies, he's got 300 properties that are now vacant, all of which he's got to make a mortgage payment on, all of which he's got to renovate. He's got renovation costs there. And so he's running around like a crazy man trying to do anything he can to stop the bleeding. And so, you know, my question to him was, Alan, you know, first of all, why do you need 1,100? <laughs> and second of all, would you have been much better off if you had just maybe, I don't know, 30 or 40 of them and they were totally free and clear? Would it be easier to manage? Would it be easier to pay? 
if somebody moved out and trashed the place, would it be easier to fix up maybe one or two, or would it be easier to fix up 300? Mm -hmm. So sometimes we all think that more, more, more is better, but it's not always better. But the same applies with the guy who has 10 rental properties. If you've got 10 and they're all leveraged, and by the way, you mentioned the word highly leveraged, that almost doesn't matter because if something's leveraged and, it, and the property goes vacant, you still have to make a payment on that property while it's vacant, while you're fixing it up. It doesn't matter if you have equity in the property. It doesn't matter if your payment looks pretty good. So, you know, maybe after we take a break here, I'll explain something called the four stages of prosperity. And, uh, and, and this is where all of this philosophy came from. And I'll show you how to overcome some of this stuff here a little bit. I don't know how soon we need to take a break. But, Actually, you have um, great radio timing because we do, need to, <laughs> we do need to take a break right now. I do want to invite listeners to call in with your comments. Uh, the number is something I should have memorized by now, but when the sheet's not in front of me, I don't know what to do about it. It's uh, 877-772-9658, toll-free from any place in the United States. You can also send a an email with any questions you have to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Sean McCluskey. And we're talking today not about uh, Sean's sort of usual strategic topic, which is short sales, but rather about debt-free investing and how you can um, own properties without owing any money on them to lenders and uh, what what what's good about that uh sean is making a sweep through central and southern ohio the week after next he's going to be appearing on consecutive nights in columbus dayton and cincinnati and then is going to be doing an all-day session on um, Saturday, September the 8th. If you'd like to know the locations and the sponsoring groups, you can go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash real life real estate radio, or just go to Facebook and put in real life real estate and it'll pop up and you can uh, see the sites to go if you're going to be in Columbus or Dayton or Cincinnati during the course of the week of September the 4th. Uh, you can come and see Sean live and then come see him uh, in Cincinnati on Saturday the 8th because he is uh, he's going to be here expounding a lot on uh, what we are talking about today and his uh, his overall philosophy that your business is supposed to support your life not be your life so um, yeah Sean I, I you know I think what 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 listeners are are kind of going over in their heads right now is how <laughs> how sure. how did Sean pay off a bunch of rental properties? Did he did he wholesale his way out of it? Did he win the lottery? Did he give them back to the bank? I mean, there there's there's all sorts of. <laughs> did he file bankruptcy? Sure, the easy way out. Sure. <laughs> exactly. That's that's one, one one way to not owe any money anymore, right? Um, but 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 yeah, what we're talking about is is how to go ahead and and have these properties and have the tax advantages and have the cash flow and. Uh, the 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 appreciation, the the long term wealth building, without saddling yourself with this debt that requires you to work a a real estate job, if not a more traditional job, uh, in order to make sure that those bills can be paid. 
Now, again, sure. this was this was a process that you went through getting getting first to the stage of, you know what, I don't want to owe people money anymore. And then sure. from there to, okay, I've got it figured out how I'm going to do that. And then from there to, I did it. <laughs> so we don't we don't yeah. want to we don't want to give anybody a you know a, a, the impression that if Sean decided on Tuesday, <laughs> no more debt. And on Wednesday, <laughs> there he was. Um, but <laughs> but uh, uh, you you mentioned that that you've sort of you've sort of boiled down the philosophy here to four stages. Yes. Of prosperity, uh, t- talk about those. Well, I don't want to take full credit for this. Uh, myself and my, my business partner now, a gentleman named Steve Cook, um, developed this together about two years ago. And when this all came together, this is when what we were doing was really starting to make sense. And this is the first time we were able to verbalize to other people why it made sense and the direction that we were going and, and also how to do it. So these are called the four stages of financial prosperity. I'll just run through them here with you real quick. Um, and by the way, when we when I come in town and we're going to do the Saturday workshop, I'm going to go into this in great detail, and we'll talk about the hows with you guys right in the room, like how you can do this yourself. But I'll share with you today how I kind of went through this. So stage one is setting the foundation. It's creating the vision, if you will. So what I found is, myself included, most business owners have a business plan, but they don't know what they, what they want their life to look like. So they end up developing a business or living a life based on how much money they can make instead of how much freedom it'll give them or what they want life to look like. So that was stage number one. And I'm going to cover that real quick because for right now, unless I have some time to explain that, I I don't want that to come across as some foo-foo stuff, pie in the sky, you know, uh, you know, think positive and everything will be fine. That's not what I mean. What I mean is coming up with a specific idea for what the perfect life would look like. Because for me, and for a lot of people, the perfect life includes one word in a major way, and that's freedom. So if I want freedom, I have to start to design a life, or I should say I I want to design a life first, and then I design a business. After I've figured out what my life wants to look like, then I can start to develop a business. I don't develop a business with only the sole purpose of making money. Making money is really important, and I want to make lots of it, but I don't want to do it at the expense of life. So today, if somebody came to me and said, Sean, I can pay you, you know, five million bucks a year, and you're going to uh, you're gonna make more money than you've ever made in your life, but you have to work 80 hours a week, and you're not going to see your kids, and you have to move two states away where you don't know anybody and there's no family close by and everything else, I wouldn't do it because I know what my vision looks like. So that's stage number one, is creating the vision and setting the foundation. And that's the most crucial aspect. When I ask a room full of people, how many of you have a vision, like in writing, on person, on your person right now, 99.9% of the people have not even done stage one, and that's important. So I'll leave it at that for now. But stage two is now setting the game up to win. What I mean by that is you need to either have a business or a job or whatever it takes Stage two is where your needs are met. And notice I said needs. I didn't say every want and desire you have in the history of the world. Stage two is where you get your needs met. So if my needs are very simple, then I can get beyond stage two very quickly. But if my needs, on the other hand, are very difficult, or let's say my monthly expenses are very, very high, it becomes more difficult for me to get to stage three. I'll go there in a second. For example... What do most people do in today's society? Once they graduate college and 
and they uh, they start to enter the real world and they start working or they start to develop their own business. And let's say they get a job. You know, they finally get a job and they start making some money. And then a little time goes by and they get a raise. And over time, when they get a raise, do their expenses stay the same typically or do their expenses go up to meet their new raise? Mm-hmm. Definitely go up. Yep. You know, obviously they <laughs> typically go up. And it's the same with a business owner. It doesn't mean if you have a job. Typically, the more money people make, the more their lifestyle increases. And pretty soon, uh, you know, their stage two needs have become significantly more. And even though they're making more money than they've ever made before, their needs are more than they've ever been before. So it's, they can't get out of the rat race. I uh, I dealt with a coaching student. We've we've since gotten him out of all this but two years ago he came to me and he said sean he said for the last three years in a row he said i've made 500 between 500 and 550 grand a year and he said i've been doing great but he said this year i'm not so good he said this year i almost had to file bankruptcy because i only made 350 grand this year And we listen to that, and we hear that on the outside looking in, and we go, well, that's just nuts. How could you possibly file bankruptcy from only making three hundred fifty grand a year? You know, that's, by most people's standards, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But this guy was about ready to file bankruptcy. Well, why? Well, he was making between five hundred and five hundred fifty grand a year, but his expenses were more like six fifty a year. You know, he's got the million-dollar house. He's got all the rental properties to go with it. When some of those go vacant, that increases his needs in stage two and so on. So, you know, lots of expenses, big, huge office, lots of employees, you know, stuff like that, which on one hand, the employees were bringing in money. So that's a good thing. But on the other hand, they were all fixed expenses. So they were there whether he closed the deal this month or not. So his stage two needs were so difficult. It's difficult. And and by the way, this doesn't matter if the guy makes 500 grand a year or 50 grand a year. It's all relative percentage wise. So you can't tell me, well, it's easier for that guy. You know, he's, he's making three fifty. Anybody can live off of that. Well, it's the same for the family that's making sixty grand a year as a combined couple. Same percentages apply, just a little different money, dollar figure. So uh, that's stage two. So the easier you have stage two set up the game to win, the easier it is to get to stage three. And stage three was where it gets a lot of fun. This is where stage three is where you create excess income. And this is where it gets a lot of fun because with all the extra income that you make, you can do whatever you want with it. In stage three, you can buy vacations, you can buy uh, other stuff free and clear, you can buy investments if you want to, which takes us into stage four, owning free and clear asset producing, or I should say cash producing assets. And this is where you really, really become free. So if, let's say, my needs in stage two, for example, let's say my needs are six hundred grand a year in stage two, like my coaching student, uh, his name is Matt. If my needs are six hundred grand a year, sure, I can go make excess income in stage three, but i got to make a lot of excess income in stage three before I can use any of that to buy some stage four assets. Or if my stage two needs are very, very simple, then now anytime I make some extra cash, I can do whatever I want with it. Life just becomes a whole lot easier. So the key is doing the right things, but not just the right things, the right things in the right order. 
And since most people don't even have stage one, which is the vision, they can't get to stage two or three. For me, rental properties and the management that came with it at the time didn't fit into my vision, but I pursued them because I looked at the dollar signs. You know, there was other things that I felt could have fit my personality and my skill set a little bit better, but I went after that for the money. Had I had a vision in the beginning, I would have done it in a different order first. And I may not have pursued rental properties at all in the beginning. Not to say that they're bad. And, and by the way, not to say that debt is wrong. But for me, the more debt you have for a rental property, for example, if I have a rental property and I have debt on it, it may look like a stage four investment, but it's not. Because if that uh, investment goes vacant, all of a sudden, what does that do? Do I have to pay a monthly payment still every single month, even if the house is vacant and not bringing in income? Of course I do. And all that did is just increase my needs in stage two. Mm -hmm. So usually when I have a visual, this is a little bit easier to see, but does that make any sense, Nina? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It makes, it makes perfect sense. And uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how to start moving towards stage three and stage four. If you're an investor out there who's feeling this, and I'm guessing there are a lot of people who are. I talk to folks all the time who said, wow, I quit my 40-hour week job and ended up working 80 hours a week. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yes, I'm worth a million dollars on paper. And yes, I have more income than I did before, but I, I, I'm, I wish I just could quit at five on Friday and take my paycheck and go home. Yeah. So, uh, again, want to invite uh, folks who are listening to give us a call if you have any questions at 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email sharing your own experiences or, again, with any questions for Sean McCluskey to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Our number here in the studio, if you would like to ask a question of Sean McCluskey on his debt-free investing strategy, is 877-772-9658. You can also uh, send us an email by going to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V, like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about your own feelings and experiences with this idea of debt-free investing. Again, uh, we've posted information on facebook.com slash real life real estate about Sean's upcoming appearances in Ohio. And while you're there, we've also got a gift for real life real estate listeners, a 25 page ebook on understanding how real estate wholesaling works. I can never seem to never seem to get enough information to folks about wholesaling and in 48 minute shows. So okay. 25 pages about this is what it is. And this is who you're buying from and who you're selling to and what you're doing and so on. So again, that is facebook.com slash real life real estate. And while you're there, of course, um, fan us up. You'll be joining 5340 other listeners from all over the United States when you do. Um, okay, so Sean, uh, back to back to debt-free investing. We've laid a lot of groundwork here. <laughs> Talked a lot about why why it might be a good thing to have less properties that uh, also have no debt on them. We've talked about how it kind of kind of makes you bulletproof in a lot of ways. Um, interest rates go up. You don't care. You don't have adjustable rate mortgages. 
Sure. Uh, um, you know, the economy economy tanks again. You don't care. Your rentals are paid off. You're, you're, you've got your taxes and insurance. Well, you know what and, the, go ahead. You know what the fight is that I always hear, especially from current landlords. They say, well, wait a second, though. Wait a second. But then if I don't have any mortgage, then I don't have any write-off. How am I not? How am I going to write off to all that interest? And my comment back is, well, why would you ever in a million years spend a dollar to save 30 cents? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they go, what do you mean? And I go, well, every dollar you're spending, you're giving the lender a dollar and you're only saving 30 cents in taxes. Now, there's ways to protect yourself tax-wise, too, but even if there were no ways, I'd rather pay the IRS 30 cents than pay the, the lender a dollar just to save 30 cents. So mm-hmm. that, even that argument doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I think I think sometimes landlords get get mixed up and think that if they don't have a loan, they don't have depreciation. Which is right. which is where their big tax savings is is really coming from, not from um, writing off that interest. And 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 okay. heck, you want to spend a dollar? Go put some granite countertops in this year. You know, improve the property. Don't <laughs> don't don't pay the lender. So um, all right. So once you had made this decision, I'm 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 not mm-hmm. going to work for my business. My business is going to work for me. And then you turned around and did what everyone else is going to do and went, oh my gosh, look at all this debt. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 that that must have looked like a, a, a large mountain to climb. Yes, to, it did. To say, <laughs> my my goal is not have any of this in a in a very short period of time, not not thirty years. How did you sure. go about whittling that debt down to where you just didn't owe anything on those properties anymore? Well, let me let me preface by saying this started with a vision, and the the key aspect of creating your vision is not to filter it with what mess you've already got in your life and that's what so many people do they start to create a vision and they say well you know um my ultimate vision is uh well i don't know i've got all this these rental properties and if i could start all over maybe i wouldn't do them with debt or even when it comes down to what people want in a marriage they they have some people who have don't have a good marriage have a hard time coming up with a vision for what they want their marriage to look like because their current marriage sucks So we encourage you, don't filter the vision with what you've already got to deal with. Put in the vision exactly what you want out of life. And for me, I wanted ultimate freedom. And I wasn't getting ultimate freedom out of a lot of what I had. I had uh, a big office. I had uh, a real estate brokerage. I had uh, 16 or 17 agents in my brokerage that, um, you know, I was the broker. So essentially I was responsible for all of their paperwork all of these people were investors. They were all out there doing creative stuff. And, you know, is there more liability or less liability when you got a bunch of creative real estate investors out there who are all real estate agents going out and doing crazy deals all the time? I felt like at any minute, you know, the whole back end was going to fall out of everything I was doing or somebody was going to make a mistake on paperwork or something was going to happen. And, I, and the bottom line is I did not feel free. That was an addition to that, but that wasn't the only thing. There was lots of reasons I didn't feel free. So my vision, one of the things that my vision said is that I want to be free. I want to feel free. And since I started to identify those things that were not making me feel free, now I had to come up with with sort of a sub-step of stage one, which is, okay, now that I've got this vision, how am I going to make it happen? And this is where you can get really, really creative. Now, I'll share, if it's okay, rather than how I paid everything off. Let me share with you an idea that came to me, and then I'll come back to how I paid the stuff off. Because I had an idea during this process of 
people were asking me, well, wait a second, you can't have a rental portfolio unless you have debt, unless you're going to go out and save up for 10 years and then go try to pay cash for all your properties. And I thought, well, I don't know if that's true or not. You know, if my vision said that I wanted rental properties, is there another way to do it? Well, there may not be a way that the conventional society is doing it, but when there is a vision, the way will surface itself. I'll say that again. When you have a vision, the how-to will eventually surface itself. It might not right away, but it will eventually. When I started this process, I was $1.1 million in debt. And for some of you listening, that might not be anything. For some of you, that might as well be, well, a million dollars. You know, 1.1 million when I started to realize this stuff, I thought, man, that's a lot. I got, That's 1.1 million little employees I have is how I considered it. I have 1.1 little employees that are working against me every single month, where even if I, if I don't show up to work tomorrow, I still got those little employees out there working against me because I got I to gotta pay my debt service on them. So how am I going to get rid of these things? Well, the vision said to get rid of them. The how came thereafter. When I started asking, is it possible to have a rental portfolio without debt? Here's what came to me. I thought, why couldn't I go out and find rental properties that, you know, right now, one thing I'm really good at at that point was finding deals. And I could go out and find deals that were worth 70 grand, 80 grand, maybe more. And I could buy those deals for 30,000 bucks because I know how to buy deals. My stage three where I could create excess cash, I was really good at that. The problem is all my excess cash every month was going to the lender. So had I not had all the debt, I'd been making great money, but I knew how to get deals. And I thought, what if I could use my skills of going out and getting deals to go out and find rental properties? And instead of me having to save up and pay, pay cash for them, or instead of me going to the lender, what if I could find a financial backer? Somebody that has some money, they have some cash, they want to invest it, they want to return on their investment, but they don't know where to go. And I thought, what if I could find people like this and have them put up the money for the investment? I could use my skill of finding the deal to put the deal together, and I could also be the property manager, so make sure that the property's rented. And what if we could do this where we partner on deals like this as a joint venture? Not where I'm partnering an entire business, because partnerships stink, but where I partner one deal on a deal-by-deal basis with someone. And what if I could partner that with a, with a private investor who is only putting up the money, and then they're done? And you know, could I give that investor a really good return on their investment and make a great return for me also having no risk? I thought about that. I thought, well, I don't know. I started sharing some of this with some of my coaching students, and I shared it with one guy, and we started doing the numbers, and we figured with what we could buy a property for, if we could buy a property for around 30 or 35 grand and rent it for 750, well, if the investor put up that money and we split the rent, even considering vacancy and fix up and everything else, that investor could probably make somewhere around a 12% return annually on their money. And of course, my return would be pretty much infinite because the only thing I have invested is time, no money. Now, the beautiful thing about this is is that if the property goes vacant, there's no payment to make. This investor would have to be told and informed up front that when the property goes vacant, I'm not going to make a payment to you. The only way that, the, that this little joint venture partnership makes money is when it's making money. So I get paid when you get paid and vice versa. 
and I, I know I'm talking fast. Uh, hopefully, I didn't you know glaze over everybody. But the bottom line is, when there was a vision, the the how to came. Now I didn't know anybody that was doing this stuff, and I had never even heard of this as a strategy before. So I started sharing it with some of my students who wanted to acquire rentals, and next thing you know, they were like, they were getting all excited about it. They were like, Sean, I'm going to try this out. And next thing you know, I got students that are out there buying rental properties using this strategy, and it did work. Mm-hmm. These people are into these properties with no money out of their own pocket. They're splitting the rent. They get 50% of the rent every month that goes into their pocket for finding the deal and managing the, the property. The other 50% goes to the investor, and they're also a 50% owner in this deal. Now, what would stop them from doing this, let's say, 20 times? And let's say they buy out the investor for 10 of those properties for the cost of the equity in the other 10. I know I'm talking fast here, but the way we figured this, and I've got students now that have done this, is once they do this over and over, if they want to own some of these properties free and clear, they're buying them at good enough deals where they have equity in the property. All they have to do is sell their 50% of ownership in half of the deals to the investor that put up the money and basically this this person uh will get ha- will get half of the properties that they've done free and clear mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay i know so- i just spit a lot out and that might be a little confusing but this stuff is totally feasible and doable when you have a vision well we will we will break it down and we will answer some questions that have been coming in here to askvina at gmail.com. As soon as we take a quick break, you can also call in with your questions at 877-772-9658. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Sean McCluskey, who once again is going to be uh, talking more and with a whiteboard probably to show these. <laughs> the math's always tough on the radio. Uh, in, right. in Ohio on Tuesday, September 4th, Wednesday the 5th, and Thursday the 6th, followed by an all-day Saturday on the 8th. You can get information about where he is appearing and how you can go to those meetings uh, by going to facebook.com slash estate. They are in Columbus, Dayton, and Cincinnati on consecutive evenings. He's joining our RIA groups here in the uh, state of Ohio, and uh, we're very glad to have him. Um, Sean, a couple of questions that have come in to askvina at gmail.com. The first one is from Mark in Chatham, New Jersey. He says, what advice do you have for an investor who's just starting to build his portfolio to own free and clear cash producing assets. And I'm going to read something into this question, Sean, that that is not actually written here, which is you just said you were going out to get, you were going out and getting people with cash to put up the money so that you could do the purchase rehab management and so on. I think maybe what Mark as a new investor is concerned about is how do I get the credibility to get somebody to (laughs) invest cash with me when I'm, it's my first deal. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, believe it or not, Mark, it's a lot easier than you think it is. Um, there's a right way to do this and a wrong way. First of all, I'm not going out, and there's there's some speakers out there that tell you you should go out and send a bunch of mail, to, you know, buy a list of, of people who have made investments recently in 
um, you know, low-paying or low-yielding investments. You should buy a list from a list-providing company and do direct mail to these people and, and solicit them that way. I have I've never done that. That stuff doesn't work. Right? Either it doesn't work or it's very, very uh, borderline illegal if you do it wrong because the SEC has all kinds of regulations on how you can and cannot solicit money. And if you do it wrong, you end up... Uh, hopefully looking good in orange because that's what you're going to be wearing for a couple of years. <laughs> so I don't go out and solicit money that way. The only thing I do, and I, this is what I did when I first got started, my very first deal that I ever did, well, I got private money to get the deal done, and I got it by accident. And here's how I did it. I was literally on my back porch. We had just moved into this house in a brand-new neighborhood, and we're out on the back patio, uh, at the time, I'm a single guy. I've got a roommate. We're sitting out on the back patio uh, cooking up some hot dogs and hamburgers, and I see my next-door neighbor. Now, this is not a, an extravagant neighborhood by any means, but I see my neighbor, who's just a good old farm boy kind of guy, you know, young guy, probably uh, 26, 27 years old. And I said, hey, come on over, and, you know, if you want to have a hamburger and a hot dog with us. Uh, he was out in his backyard, so I invited him over. And pretty soon, he starts asking me, you know, what do you do? And I said, well, I've I buy and sell houses. Now, I haven't bought and sold any houses yet at all. But I, he said, what is it that you do? And I said, well, I have a business where I buy and sell houses. And he said, really? And I said, uh, I, I said, yeah. And he said, how's that working? And I said, well, <laughs> I'm trying to find a deal right now, actually. And uh, I said, the deals are out there. The, the key is, I said, man, if I just had access to more money, I could find many, many more deals. And he goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, the, the guy who has cash usually gets the best offers, and if you've got cash tied up at the moment and you try to go make an offer and you don't have any available cash, you, know, you can still make offers. You just can't get as aggressive with your pricing. But, man, when I have uh, the ability to make cash offers, I'm doing really, really well. And he goes, hmm, well, how would you make cash offers if, uh, if you don't have the cash to do it? And I said, well, I would look for uh, a private individual to put up the money and and uh, try to make sure they get paid very, very handsomely for putting up the money, and and that's basically it. And he goes, hmm. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation right then. I didn't think anything of it. I was, I was literally just answering his questions. So a week or so goes by, and we're having another barbecue out there, and I invite my, my neighbor, Matt, over again. And uh, Matt comes over, and, and we start talking again, and he this time brings up, Hey, remember how you were saying you were looking for investors? Uh, give me an idea of what something like that might pay to an investor that was willing to put up some money. And I, totally oblivious to what was going on, uh, just shared some numbers with him. And these are numbers I just pulled out of my head. And I said, well, I don't know. They might make this percentage. And at the time, I was just buying to flip houses. I wasn't doing any rental property. This is when I first got started. And uh, so I told them, well, the, you know, the investor would probably make somewhere in the neighborhood of a 12% return on their investment. And I would buy these houses, and the investor would be secured with a, a mortgage on the house. And, and, you know, when I sold the property, they would get paid off. And he goes, hmm. And the bottom line is it was just a matter of a few weeks, and he was sitting here saying, well, how can I be one of those investors? <laughs> I would have never thought this guy had a dollar to his name. He had a John Deere tractor for a mailbox. <laughs> and he had this guy. And by the way, when I, he started with me, um, the very first loan he gave me was for about thirty-six grand. So, and, and he told me at the time, that's all I have. So 
So I did that deal, and as soon as I paid him back on that deal, and he made really good money on it, next thing you know, he's wanting to do another one, and another one, and another one. <laughs> and pretty soon, you know, I've got hundreds of thousands of dollars that I've now partnered with him or borrowed from him, however you want to structure the deal. And, uh, and he's asking me to go find more deals. So that wasn't all the money he had. He was testing me at first. But since then, you know, I've only ever had to deal with three private lenders. Three. That's it. And the way I found those three was exactly what I just told you, is having conversations like that with people and just telling them what I do. If they have money or if they're interested in investing, they'll want to know more about it. If not, then they'll the conversation will just be a nice conversation. You didn't solicit anybody for money. You didn't break any SEC violations. And... Uh, and you're going to more than likely be in the clear. Of course, there's a little more than you need to know than just that, but that's that's about as simple as it gets. Mm-hmm. And and Mark also, as a, as a new investor, do make sure you've got your education in place. <laughs> do make sure that, that if you're going to somebody and saying this house is worth 70 and we're paying 30, you know that that is in fact the truth. And when you say, I can manage this, you really can, because your part is to bring the good deal to the table and make sure that it stays good. Uh, Sean, we have time for literally one more really quick question. This is from Rose in Madeira. She says, I'm definitely going to come out to see Sean in Cincinnati. However, I hate to sound cynical, but how is this not cheating? Doesn't he still owe the investor his money back? How is that debt-free investing? Oh, well, good question. And I I'm sorry, when I don't have a whiteboard and I'm on a radio show, it's hard for me to explain all this stuff. <laughs> um, yes, you do owe an investor until that money is paid back. But let's just say, for, for argument's sake, let's say you did two deals. And let's just use the numbers I gave before. Let's say I bought two rental properties for, let's say, thirty grand each. And let's say that they were worth Seventy to a hundred thousand dollars each, which I can buy deals like that all day long, knowing what I know now. We can get into that at the meeting. Um, if I buy these two deals for thirty grand each, and they're worth, I'm going to use a hundred just because they're round numbers. If that freaks you out because those are really good deal numbers, don't be freaked out about it. Just understand the concept right now. So I've got sixty thousand dollars borrowed against two hundred thousand dollars worth of real estate. And I own that real estate with my funding partner. So my funding partner put up sixty grand, and we now have $200,000 worth of assets. Could I use the equity in the property, in the, the equity in both properties, to buy out my funding partner? Well, of course I could. Mm-hmm. I could, if I wanted to, I could say to my funding partner, I could say, listen, we have two properties. You pick the very best one that you want out of these two and let me have the other one. And now you'll own that one free and clear and you'll be buying me out of the other one. Basically, you're buying me out of this partnership for the price of one house. Mm -hmm. So is that a good deal for the investor? Well, sure. The investor now has $60,000 in an asset, a single asset that's now worth a hundred and is renting and cash flowing and everything's great. And I now own a property free and clear. Mm-hmm. It makes a whole lot more sense when I got a whiteboard and I can explain it to you that way. So do come to the event. But yes, you know, come. To give me an idea. That's as simple as it works. Come to the events. Uh, you can choose Columbus, Dayton, or Cincinnati. There's more information 
about uh, where they are located, the times and so on, just by going to facebook.com slash real life real estate. Sean, thank you for joining us today and sharing a completely new and different philosophy about uh, the whole idea of investing and freedom. We look forward to seeing you here in Ohio a week after next. And we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.